Can you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20? Exodus chapter 20. How I thank God for his word. Where would we be? God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother uh, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Father, we thank you for your inspired word. Hmm. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Father, we thank you that what we've read is your word to us. Your powerful, eternal word. And we pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you might communicate with us what it is that you're sharing with us today. We recognize, Lord, that that will be at a couple of levels. You'll be speaking to us as a church, as the family of God here. So help us to hear as a church. We also recognize, Father, that your church is made up of 
people, individuals, and how each of us have come to you today and we come to you in a different place. As I've already been said, some will come in a place of real joy and a time of real celebration in their lives. For others, it'll look different. But however we come, Father, we pray that we might meet with you. We pray, Father, that we won't be like the people we've just read about who, who were too afraid to come to you. Father, we pray that we might have the heart of Moses who stepped closer because he trusted that you were a good God. So, Father, please speak and share with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get into uh, Scripture. Uh, that's the series that we're in. We're in the Ten Commandments. It's entitled uh, Rules uh, to Live By. And this morning we're going to look at the Eighth Commandment, uh, which is do not steal. And by the way, is, is Leah still here? Um, I loved what Leah did with us this morning. She's such a gifted cookie. Um, do not steal. Question I want to ask you, has anybody here had anything stolen from them? Put your hands up if you had anything stolen from you. Okay, oh my, oh my goodness. That's like, phew, lots of us. Um, anybody um, had any money stolen from you? I had a phone call from my bank. Um, <laughs> it's always worrying. Your bank phones you, isn't it? I find you worrying anyway. Uh, Mr. Llewellyn, um, have you recently been buying things in Los Angeles? <laughs> no. Uh, we didn't think so because you were also buying something in London at the same time. Uh, my, my, my bank account uh, had been, uh, I don't know, something happened to it. And somebody was using my debit card uh, in all kinds of exotic places. Uh, and, uh, you know, praise God, the bank put the money back in. But I just felt so vulnerable. I thought, oh, my goodness. And part of me thought, I wish I was in Los Angeles. And anyway, that's that. <laughs> Anybody had a car stolen from them? Oh, my goodness, lots of you. Gosh, dear me. Anybody had a push bike stolen from them? Yeah, Wow. I don't know if you know, but I was Sue, um, used to cycle to work, and uh, she used to have her bike locked up in the cage. Uh, there's a cage, a secure cage for bikes, and it got stolen from there. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, this is a tougher one, I think. Anybody had your home broken into? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Lots of you. And how many of you were responsible for those break-ins? <laughs> I've never had my home broken into. Um, but when we were looking after Sue's mum and dad's house, um, people came and broke into some of the outbuildings there. And... Um, and we felt violated. What must you have felt like, who've had your homes actually broken into, 
and, um, and some of your stuff taken, some of the precious things, uh, which frankly will be of very little worth to those people, but actually mean the world to you. Um, it, it's a feeling that is deep inside, isn't it? You know, there's a reaction uh, to that. And, and we've been saying, haven't we, with this series, that uh, when God came up with uh, these commandments, not suggestions, um, he, he knew what he was doing. Um, let me ask you another question. Have a think about this one. Who wins from stealing? Who wins from stealing? G give me some suggestions. Who wins? Yeah. Solicitors win. <laughs> Solicitors. I've got that written down. I've got Alex wins. Okay, fine. Okay, I've got that. And security firms win. Um, I'm going to suggest to you that the thief doesn't. The thief doesn't. Uh, let me explain um, what I mean by that. Uh, who would you say is the most notorious thief in the Bible? The most notorious thief in the Bible. Who would you say it is? Judas. Have you been writing, uh, reading my notes? It's quite incredible. Judas. Yeah, I, I, I've got that. Who else? Who else could be? Zacchaeus. Barabbas. Yeah, yeah. I also had Jacob, who stole his brother's birthright. Oh my goodness, that was a biggie, wasn't it? Uh, the consequences of that stayed with him for quite a while. Uh, but I've got down here Judas, Judas Iscariot. And uh, up on the screen, if you want to follow in your own Bibles, it's uh, John chapter 12. Um, and I wonder if he ever thought where this sin of stealing would ever take him to. Uh, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived. I love that, where Lazarus lived. It's because he died. Um, but Jesus rose him, rose him to, the, to life again. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. There's a, a, a story there. Uh, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pout, about a pint of pure nard. We know it was incredibly expensive. She poured on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's worship there. That's worship. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Because it was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. What an indictment. All of history with us being recorded that this man was a thief. But let's go a bit further into Matthew 26. Uh, verses uh, 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. 
And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I'm going to suggest to you that stealing rots your soul. And it can start with something really small. Uh, when, I, when I was a little boy, um, I, I, was partic- I was particularly into pink shrimps. And um, do, you, do you remember the pink shrimps? They were much nicer than the white mice, I thought, personally. Uh, and I remember one day, I was in this sweet shop, and there they were, loads of them. I remember thinking to myself, there's so many, Shh, they won't notice. But there was something in my heart that says, but you'd know. But you'd know. I think the thing with stealing, and, and it is a fascinating one, isn't it? The whole shoplifting thing is that some of the people who shoplift are some of the wealthiest people. They don't need to steal. But it's something that started, that's become an addiction. It's something that's just growing up in them. And what's happening is that it's just rotting their soul. That's what happened to Judas. Judas didn't just one day decide to betray the Son of God. Something that was a foothold became a stronghold, which just grabbed him. And it's the same with us. We don't just go out and do stuff. We allow things to stay in our hearts. And we're all the same. We're all guilty of this. And, and that thing that has just a tiny little foothold in our life becomes a stronghold. And before you know it, uh, our Ems was um, out in France with Joe and Leah uh, last year. I think it was last year, wasn't it? And uh, we, funnily enough, we were relating the story on, um, on Saturday night, I think it was, or whatever night it was, uh, about their lovely time out there. But one of the things, and I won't share that story <laughs> with you, uh, but you can talk to Emily. later. Um, but one of the things they did there is that they went to Carcassonne. And uh, Carcassonne is this fortress, um, and it is the biggest stronghold in Europe. And when you look at it and observe the scale of it, and you think, oh my goodness, when the Bible talks about strongholds in our lives, what it's saying is that we've allowed one brick at a time for something to be built up, to take our hearts, to guard our hearts completely away from the things of God. And all of a sudden, we have got the enemy taking over territory that is not his Now, I'm I'm talking about Christian people. I'm not talking about people who haven't got a faith. But just one brick at a time, we allow the enemy. And we can do that through unforgiveness. We can do that through theft. We can do that in um, coveting. We can do it in all kinds of ways. Where Suddenly, this this heart, which God uh, has declared pure, has become corrupted and polluted again because we're allowing a stronghold uh, to stay uh, in place. Now, I'm going to suggest to you what a contrast in two hearts between Judas and Mary. Uh, The one who worshipped Jesus. 
and the other one who worshipped uh, money. Uh, whenever I think about um, the worship of money, I come to these verses in Matthew chapter 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. <clears throat> if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's what's captivating us. That's what that verse is about. What's captivating us? What are we allowing to get into the depths of our soul? And then he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Very strong language there, isn't it? What God is saying is, don't play with sin. Don't think that you can be a lukewarm Christian and God's going to say, let's have a party over that one. He's saying, you can't play with fire, you're going to get burnt. And what our M was saying um, um, earlier on, when she was sharing about her week, it's, it's when she sits at the feet of Jesus, that's when she can feel that freshness come into her spirit again. And actually the way that she relates to others uh, is different. The same for all of us. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The language is very... These are the words of Jesus. But we downplay them. And we say, no, it's okay. We can have a foot in both camps. You know, we, we, can be more than we can be more than happy in just playing the Christian game and playing this other game, and we'll be fine. I tell you what, we are so, so like Muppets if we think like that. You cannot serve both God and money. Speaking about coveting, of course, um, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. People who steal always covet what others have. So let's have a, a look at uh, just two or three biblical examples of uh, theft. And the first one is the Good Samaritan. Now you think, well, the Good Samaritan. Um, well, the Good Samaritan is in there because of actually what happened right at the beginning. In Luke 10, 30, it says, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half uh, dead. Now, as I look around this room, uh, apart from Alex, I guess most of us have never done uh, this kind of thing, okay? Um, that's not the kind of thing uh, that uh, we do. Having said that, um, I, have I, I'm not sure if I've shared this at, at this level. I, I know I have in, in private. Uh, Sue and I, some years ago when we were living in Cardiff, we actually met somebody and became a friend of a bank robber. And uh, a lovely guy, totally misunderstood. Um, <laughs> He, um, uh, something happened in his soul, and, and God, God had prodded him, and, um, and so he, he started going along to church, and um, blow me down, and became a Christian. And so he said to the pastor, he said, Pastor, he said, I, I need to talk to you about something really difficult, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed about it. And so he went around to the guy's house. And when the guy went out to make a, a cup of tea, uh, he was shuffling about on the sofa. I don't know if you do that, and you just try and find yourself comfortable. And he put his hand down in the sofa, and up came wads of notes. And he put them back, and uh, thought, whoa, that's a bit unusual. Um, and then the, the man came, and he said, Pastor, what I've got to share with you is that for a living, I rob post offices and banks. 
And he went into a cupboard, and there were the loot bags, okay? He even had his shirt with black and white hoops on. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Unbelievable. I didn't know they wore them. Um, he brought out a sawn-off shotgun, which he had used and injured somebody with. And he said, Pastor, he said, I've, I've become a Christian. I've been, I've been convicted by God's word. What do I do? And the pastor, I thought, was one. He said, you need to speak to our treasurer. <laughs> and started talking to him about tithing, uh, which, I, which I thought was quite moving. It, it, he, he didn't. He, he, he said, is that, gun, is that gun unloaded? And he, he said, yes. He said, um, he said, I need to have the gun. He said, I've got others. He said, go get them. He said, I've got a lot of money here as well. He said, go get that too. He said, let's go to the police station. But I'll carry the guns. And that's what he did. And the pastor said to him, you know the consequences for this, don't you? And he said, said, what? He said, my treasurer is going to break his heart. (laughs) He, He said, you're likely. He said, you're likely to be put away. And he was. And uh, he said, I've never been such a happy, I've never known anybody so happy to go to prison. Because God had come into his heart, and he didn't want to be a thief and a robber. And he didn't want this rotten soul anymore. He, he wanted this heart that Jesus had cleansed to have an environment where it could flourish. I love, I love that story. Because, see, that's what happens when God grabs your heart and, uh, and things change. I, I always smile at the, the joke that Nicky Gumbel says in Alpha about the guy who comes, becomes a Christian and he writes a letter to the Inland Revenue. And he said, uh, dear sirs, I've become a Christian, so I'm sending you this check because I can't sleep at night. And then he goes on, if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> Um, the, the likelihood is, is that um, we will have got stuff in our homes that are not ours. <coughs> I, I'm guilty. Books that people lent me. CDs, remember them? CDs that somehow have been forgotten to be given back. J. John tells in the book that uh, is accompanying this series about uh, when he became a Christian, he... Uh, um, he was convicted by God that, you know, he's this bookworm. And he'd nick some books from a bookshop. And he goes back to this bookshop and he said, excuse me. He said, a number of years ago, he said, I stole these from you. And I'd like to give them back. And the shop owner didn't know what to do whatsoever. He said, I've never encountered this before. He said, do, do you want me to phone the police? He said, no, 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 not really. He said, I'd just like you to take them. Which is what he did, and uh, they had this conversation, and, uh, and J. John left, and he just felt, he said, he said, I felt as if something in my soul had been cleansed. This is what happens when you become a Christian. You don't become a saint overnight, we get that. We won't be real saints until we're actually promoted to glory. But there has to be transformation. You cannot call yourself a Christian and play with it. Okay, because if that's what you're doing, and that's what lots of us do, 
Okay? We just need to repent. Because we're just breaking God's heart. Next one I want to have a look, and somebody mentioned it uh, earlier, is Zacchaeus. And I think this one is a bit closer to home for us. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. That is Jesus to a T. If you feel unworthy this morning, you're in a great place. Because this is what Jesus does. He takes the people who are the scum of society, and Zacchaeus was that, and he says to him, Zacchaeus, oh my goodness, I want you to come. Oh, I want to come and have tea uh, with you. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, how bad you feel, this is where you find Jesus' love. He wants to hold you, he wants to wrap you, he wants to cleanse you, and he wants to say, you can start again from now. There's incredible power in the blood of Jesus. I, I, I know. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Don't you just love religious people? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son, a son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Why did Jesus know that salvation had come to this house? Because there was transformation. Jesus is never impressed by what we say. He watches what we do. That's our testimony. What we do, not what we say. Not how... It's what we do. It's a question um, I guess I want to ask. I'm a guy from a business background. Um, is how scrupulous are we in our business deals. <coughs> Zacchaeus was a wealthy businessman, but he was a thief. Uh, Zacchaeus could have been a banker. Uh, that's how odious he was to uh, the society in which he, he lived. Um, but greed isn't confined to banking, although I heard again this week about people who've been swindling people out of millions because of greed. I think the, uh, the headline uh, on the newsfield I got was, he sold his soul to swag. I thought, oh my goodness, that wasn't even a Christian writing it. See, and that's what, that's what happens when you start to steal it. It just grabs your heart. Um, but greed isn't confined to banking. I remember uh, I, used, I had a company car for many years, and uh, I took it into uh, I took it into the main Austin Rover dealership. It was um, a car to be so proud of. It was called an Austin Allegro. 
I remember when I collected it, I collected it from a Ford dealership, and I said, where's my car? Uh, the Ford dealership was just handling all kinds of different company cars. And he said, we've parked it at the back, away from anybody, so nobody can see it. <laughs> and I literally had to go across this mud-soaked field to get my new Austin Allegro. And Sue has always said to me, she said, oh, Dave, I died with shame the moment you brought it home. It was just one of those cars. It was, it was the modern, modern version, uh, so it didn't have a square steering wheel. Um, <laughs> Austin thought it was a great idea to make a steering wheel that was square. Um, only, only us could do that. So I had a round one, which was actually, I thought, really quite impressive. I had gold stripes along the side of it as well, which made it a lot quicker. It's a bit like John and Sally's new car. Um, <laughs> And it has the same kind of prestige as well. It's quite remarkable. So I took this car into the garage and I said, I don't know what's, I don't know what's wrong. I said, but there's something wrong with this car. And do, do you know what mechanics do? They go, they all do that. They go to school and they go, it's going to cost you some money. And um, anyway, so um, I, uh, they had it for a day and a half and I went back and they said, oh, it was a head gasket. I said, is that expensive? And they went, it's quite expensive. About three or four weeks later, it was still messing up, so I took it to another dealership, and, um, and so I said one, I said, just, this has just had a new head gasket. He looked at me and he went, really? He said, that hasn't had a new head gasket. He said, the head's not been off. They've charged you for a new head gasket, but what they've done, they've put this gunk into the top of it to try and seal it. I went back, looked at the bill, because obviously I don't get the bill, the company gets the bill. I looked at the bill, they charged us hundreds of pounds. See, that's theft. How honest, I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not, how honest are you in your business affairs? Because I'll never know, but God does. When I was in business, uh, I used to deal with a lot of small businesses, uh, but I also dealt with some of the bigger businesses. And there was one guy I, I uh, got to know quite well, um, actually a decent sort of guy, until I found out this. He talked to me about, um, he owed uh, one small firm, um, I think it was £125,000. Now this was back in the 80s, okay? Now that was a lot of money back then. Actually, it's a lot of money now, isn't it? But back then, that was a lot of money. 30-day invoice came, 60-day, 90-day. And uh, do you know what he said to me? He said, Dave, I ain't going to pay it. He said, because I know I'm putting him under so much financial pressure, he's going to go under. And if he goes under, I won't have to pay it at all. I did my stomach churned. Pillar of society. Or as I'd like to say, pillar of society. But that's, that's how he would be seen as this successful businessman. It's called theft. It's actually called evil. I saw so much stuff when I was in the finance world that just made my hair curl. I saw some of the stuff that the banks did that turned me off banks way before you ever got turned off banks. People who were genuinely going through a rough time. Um, not for their own fault. The banks could see that they could see some assets. They seize the assets and just leave those people totally bereft. There was something within me that just 
reacted. Oh. We're just looking after the shareholders. If you're an employer, can I encourage you to look after your staff? Pay them a fair wage. Pay them a good wage. Pay them above what the government tells you that you've got to pay them. And if we're an employee, work the hours. Do your shift. Don't think that their stuff is your stuff and help yourself to it. Because this too is stealing. I mentioned to somebody this week that um, I, I was finding this message uh, that I knew how to bring to us really hard. Um, but it's not because of what's gone before us, but what's just to come. Because there's another example of stealing in the Bible. Uh, Leah mentioned it uh, in her children's talk. Have a look at it. So giving to God. In Malachi chapter 3 it says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. These are strong words, aren't they? Then he goes on to say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Guys, uh, what do we own? I had a great chan uh, chat with Andy um, the other day. And do you mind just saying what you said to me the other day about what we own? Um, and if you could stand up so people can hear you. Yeah. That's all right. I, I'm more than happy to do that. And so, um, so <laughs> and what, what were you saying about what we own? Um, memories. We own memories. What, what else do we own? Why don't we own any? Why don't we own anything else? Because everything we've got, we eventually pass on. We'll sell it. We'll lose it. We'll break whatever. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, And. Um, I hope that didn't make you feel at all uncomfortable. It's a bit like I heard about Tony <laughs> when you were asking this question about, you know, have you ever lied? And Tony said, uh, yes, when he said, Dave, I'm sorry you've lost your voice. <laughs> uh, that creased me up. That's great. Surely he's serious. Uh, right, again. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I was um, with my dad a couple of days ago, and uh, thank you for praying for him. He's, he's, he's struggling, eh? They've been married for 64 years. Loved it a bit. He's struggling. Of course he's going to struggle. And my, and my dad is never going to be the same again. But uh, and none of us are. But my dad said to me, and he started crying again. And he said, Dad, uh, he said, Dave, he said, um, I've, just, I've just written out my will again. And uh, I said, oh, really? 
really down. He said, yeah, and he said, I just want you to know, I want you to know what I'm leaving. And, uh, and, and, and he shared it because obviously he's thinking about his own mortality. My dad is mid-80s, he's just lost his wife, and he, he knows his number's coming up. I, it struck me because I had Andy's conversation in my mind. See, my, my dad doesn't own anything. Because what's going to happen? He's going to be promoted to glory soon, I guess. And everything's just going to be shared around. Same for all of us. Uh, you know, these business people who earn millions and billions and millions. Oh, you know, I love the way that people can generate profits and things like that. I'm not, I'm not against that. I'm really into the whole thing about people succeeding and, and doing well. As long as they, they're really wise and helpful in terms of the way that they use their money and, and they pay their taxes and all that stuff. Do you remember that uh, line about a rich guy who died and somebody said, uh, yeah, uh, so what, what did he leave? And of course the line is, everything. Everything. And so would you and so will I. And so, you know, this, so this sort of grab about accumulating stuff and whatever, it's actually quite pathetic, isn't it? And one of the reasons why God... Look, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And a few sheep as well, right? So why on earth would God be interested in your stuff? Because he cares about your heart. He doesn't want us to become that tragic person called Judas. Who lost his soul. Because he fed his heart with stuff that should never have been fed with. See, God cares about your heart more than anything else. And remember with the, uh, that passage where you've got Judas and you've got Mary, okay? You've got one where you've got this unabandoned worship. All I've got, I'm going to give you. Why? Her brother was dead and Jesus brought him back to life again. <laughs> There was a heart of gratitude there because God had just gone into that situation and totally transformed it. And she thought, flipping, no, it doesn't matter what I've got. I've got my brother back. And Jesus, you are responsible for that. Wow, the worship, the worship. But when our eyes are fixed on stuff, what happens is your heart becomes the size of a walnut. And just as gnarled and as hard. But when we focus on Jesus, what happens? He has this remarkable capacity to change this walnut and make it something bigger than a mango that's lovely, soft. And... Do you like mango? I love mango. But something that's soft and fabulous, and God could do something with that. And... and some of us this morning may well be robbing God because we, we see our stuff as ours and we see ourselves as ours. And he says, no, no. All that you are, all that you have, I have given you. When you see it as his, 
It's so much easier to give. I, I remember years ago being challenged about tithing. And somebody once said to me, isn't that a neat thing? God gets, he says, I want you to keep 90%. All that's mine, I want you to keep 90% of it. And we get crusty over giving him that small percentage. It is an interesting thing. And it tells us a lot about our hearts. Have a look at these verses. Uh, I think these are so important because when you realize that we're not our own, it makes a big difference. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You're not your own. You're bought. And then in 1 Peter, it shows us what the transaction was. It's just incredibly powerful. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We're not our own. We've been bought by the blood of the lamb. Totally his. Everything that I am, everything that I own, everything that I love is his. And he gives us the privilege, this kind of God he is. He said, I want you to enjoy what I've given you. But remember whose it is. It's mine. And I might need to take a claim on some of that. And sometimes things that are so important to us get taken away from us. But when we know that they're his, we've got a chance. <coughs> Why is God interested in our stuff? Because it's about worship. It's about worship. There's a lot of rubbish spoken about worship, isn't there? Frankly. But worship, real worship, is me saying to God, God, I'm not mine. I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want. That's worship. It's about worship. Do you remember the rich young ruler? That boy, I tell you, anybody had credentials. What a CV to come through that door. I tell you, a treasurer's absolute gift from God, isn't he? Jesus spoke into his heart, and the man went away sad. Because he worshipped stuff. It's about worship, but it's also about gratitude. Um, There's nothing more insulting to greed than giving stuff away. If you really want to insult greed or coveting, give stuff away. See, it's heart protection. And and lastly, it's about giving. God's economy. Uh, The way that God tends to move money around in his economy is that he touches the heart of one Christian uh, woman or man and says, um, there is a person over there that's in need. I need you to bless them. Two weeks ago, I made an appeal here that there was a pastoral situation that uh, we needed to help with. Thank you to all of you who've contributed to that. 
But I could give you so many examples over the years. Things that have happened in our family. I, again, I was sharing um, uh, over at Joan Leah's uh, over the weekend about the way that God has blessed us as a family through people like you. Uh, I talk, give some examples from the distant past. Since Sue has given up work, which was a huge challenge for us financially, some of you have just blessed us in ways that we just couldn't believe. It's just God's economy. He touches the hearts of people who he has blessed financially. <laughs> some of the people who gave to this pastoral need are some of the people I know who don't get anything other than pension. I mean state pension. And they still gave. I think it's called the widow's might. God looks at the heart, you know. So God's economy is that he touches people's hearts. And the way I love this is, is that people don't know who's blessed them usually. It sort of comes like a little envelope. Or it goes through a third party. Like some of the people who've been giving, giving to me so I can pass on to this other person. Say, I'm so excited, Dave. They won't know. They'll be guessing all the time who's giving this. And I'll have this quiet little smile. I say, well, make sure it's inside, because they will be wondering what's wrong with you. Uh, I, I remember, yeah, I mean, years ago, um, at Christmas time, we, we, used to, we used to love the whole idea um, of just taking some envelopes and waiting until it was dark, and it'd be our, like, Father Christmas moments, and, and we'd go and just push an envelope uh, through, um, through letterboxes. They were invoices. Um, <laughs> didn't quite get the concept. But do, do you know when? Um, do you know when that's happened to us? When we first came here, um, about four hundred years ago now, um, we we had a car that cost a third of my push bike. It didn't go quite as fast as my pushback either. <laughs> and uh, 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 what was interesting was that I, I didn't say anything to uh, my deacons, but uh, the deacons thought it might be an idea um, for Dave and Sue to have a car that could get beyond Hale Dillon. <laughs> and so, so they, came, they came to me and they said, Dave, we really feel that we should give you something. And I tell you what, I was just so moved by it, but I couldn't take it. I said, no, we're fine. And so I went and bought another cronk. Do you say cronk? Or was that just a Swansea Valley thing? A cronk, anyway. Um, and um, it was, I'm not saying it was old, but it had a starting handle in the front. And it was an um, incredible thing. And it was a black Saab. I must be honest, man, it was lovely. Um, but it was old. And six months later, it blew up. I remember I, I took it into a garage in Tafswell um, who deal with second-hand uh, sec, second salves and old ones. And he just looked at me and he went, don't waste any more money on this. Do you know that horrible sinking feeling? So I thought, what the heck do I do now? Anyway, that night, um, we sat in the manse 
couple of people from the church came and they just said, um, we'd like to bless you with this. And they gave us a check. And underneath it said, for the purpose of buying a car that doesn't break down. <laughs> I'm not sure if it said that, but yeah, you know. That was the, and do you know what I had to do? I had to swallow some pride. This whole giving and receiving thing seems like a great idea when you're the one who's giving. The family who received that gift from the other day, um, they, they were blessed by it, but I tell you what, they, they felt so humbled by it too. Sometimes we have to be humble enough to receive. See, but this is what God does in his economy, because um, there, there are times in your life when you can give, and he, if he knows he's, got, he's found a heart that can actually share that way, then it's a great thing. And there are other times when you need to be humble enough to receive. Let me finish with this. James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Powerful, isn't it? Very practical. For me, it gets the heart of spirituality. It gets the heart of worship. So finally... I, um, I asked you who was the most notorious thief in the Bible, and you came up with some different suggestions. If I was to ask you who the most famous thief in Scripture is, you'd probably all say the guy who was on the side of Jesus when he was being crucified. And you know the incredible thing about that story is that this man, whose heart was probably the size of a walnut by now, he'd lived a life completely for self, he turns to Jesus in his desperation and says, Jesus, would you remember me? And Jesus forgives him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, I don't know what that says to you, but what it says to me is that I'm not without hope. And uh, if you've got a pulse running through your body today, you know that God has been speaking to you. Because all of us know that we rob from God in one way or another. Maybe we rob from others because we're not sharing some of the blessing that he's given to us which he needs us to bless others with. But God's not written you off. What he's saying is, um, right now, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of redemption. Today is the day that we can actually do something about this. If you will just come and confess your sin. I don't know about you, I, I get great encouragement from that. That Jesus hasn't given up with me yet. Never will, you know. He's made this great promise that he who has begun a good work, he will carry it on to completion. Now we mess up, and we fail, and we get to feel ashamed of ourselves sometimes. But God's not given up on us. 
And he can turn to us like he turned to that thief and he said, today, you will be with me in paradise. In other words, there's hope here. Your life is not defined by failure. If you're a Christian, it's defined by the hope we have in our risen Savior. So let's bow our heads. And let's do some business with God. And I've run way over time. Heavenly Father, I I just so genuinely want these not to be words that touch us and then fly off like butterflies. We pray, Lord, that you would please allow these words to penetrate our very hearts. That we would look at our relationship with you our worship of you that we would look at our relationship with brothers and sisters consider the responsibility that we have and ask that question about so what are we doing about it because father you are interested far more than words you're interested in our hearts and our actions our deeds We pray, Father, that sometime today that you would help us, please, to revisit this and allow your word to keep penetrating our hearts, revitalize our hearts, energize our hearts, renew our hearts, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.